0: We told you that this decision was an important one. It was a major one. You know that. That's why you are watching the fastest growing conservative podcast in the state of South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. And to talk a little bit more about the decision, Dave, that came down, in case you haven't heard, Dobbs v. Jackson-Women's health, the overturning of Roe, no biggie. Uh, But Dave, (laughs) we have a special guest in with us to kind of break some things down. I
1: love having the chance to have our Attorney General, Alan Wilson, in with us. Uh, Attorney General Wilson no relation here though his dad does try to claim it because I got a solid block of tw- well, probably only have like eleven of my 12 votes well in, in the district but you know. your last name is
2: Wilson Yes and my last name is Wilson. that's right and we live in South Carolina. We
1: both live in Lexington so County there's
2: and we both live in Lexington so there's a strong chance just, for
1: cousins there probably are like anyway three or four cousins removed Exactly because somebody <laughs> probably removed one of us. but anyway as we are <laughs> talking should have should have removed us. That's another story for another day, but you know that's another podcast. Um, when we are talking about this decision, Alan, it really boils down to a, a fundamental difference in the way you view the responsibility of the court. But before we get into that, Friday came along, the decision came down, where were you? What were you thinking when it happened?
2: Well, I actually expected the case to come down on Friday, and it was basically just an educated guess because I knew that it was the end of the term was here. I knew that the court would not want to release the opinion on Monday uh, going into a full business week. So issue it on friday and then retreat to the weekend and let cooler heads prevail eventually which that didn't seem to happen this weekend. <laughs> so has not happened yet <laughs> but but at least you could leave the court and yeah. uh and so i it was an educated guess that would come out and honestly i i was obviously not surprised i i expected that when chief justice roberts um, basically verified the authentication of the leaked copy uh, from two months ago, that the the, the court was not going to deviate from this opinion too much. In fact, I think he added about ten pages to it, if I recall. Right. Um, so I wasn't too surprised that it, that that was the um, outcome of, of of this case. But I am elated that it is the outcome of the case. So,
0: well, real quick, we didn't have you in talking about that <clears throat> re- that leaked draft. I won't say released; I'll say leaked. When it came to that moment, when when that draft was leaked, what was your opinion on that? What it did to the perception of the court. That that would get leaked so far ahead of the decision coming down in, in an attempt it seems to try to sway the justices.
2: Well, what it showed me is is that the other side of these issues have no limits in what they will do in order to try to affect the outcome on the court. Um, so, I mean, honestly, this is you know, the problem with conservatives is we treat this like a game. The other side treats it like a war, um, and that that's sometimes what, what what's going on. Right. You know, when our side gets upset, we go out and we protest. When their side gets upset, <coughs> they threaten. They, they, I mean, you look at what Maxine Waters was saying out there, we're going to defy the court and, you know, they can go to hell, is one of the comments she made. I mean, that's similar to what Donald Trump said. And, you know, obviously we're having a January 6th commission. I don't approve of what he said, but the point is, is that the other side can get away with that type of rhetoric and there's a double standard. With that being said, um, I think this court showed that it has the, no no pun intended, the Constitution. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yes. Uh, yes. The Constitution to actually do the role that they're supposed to do and that is not to be a party litigant in these cases. Mm-hmm. When Roe came out in 1973, it decided we're going to take we're going to take a position on pro-life or pro-choice. And they ratified that position even though they threw out the entire reasoning of Roe mm-hmm. and the Casey decision. They basically said we're going to continue to be a pro-choice court. What this majority court has said is that when when Roe and Casey were decided, they took away the balancing test between the rights, as people always talk about the rights and the liberty and interest of the woman. Mm-hmm. And that, that is something that we should talk about. Right. But there's another mm-hmm. side of that equation, and those are the, the the rights of the unborn potential life of the child in the womb. Mm-hmm. And when the court ruled the way it did, it took away that balancing test and took away the ability of legislatures and the people over the last 50 years to have that that conversation about when does life begin and does it have moral value. They unilaterally did it, and this court said, that is not for us to do. That is for the people's elected representatives to do. And so I was grateful. And what's interesting, Dave, um, you look at the number of pro-choice liberal, um, you know, academics out there over the last 50 years, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who actually just no one could stand up and defend the rationale of Roe. And Casey was even worse. But, I mean, there was no fundamental right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution. It's not rooted in our, our nation's history or in its traditions. It is not grounded in any type of um, ordered liberty, as the court talked about. It was just manufactured for the express purpose
1: of adhering to, you know, a pop culture phenomenon. So, so we've talked about this before, that Roe actually read more like a piece of legislation, well, it did. Then it would a, a decision by a court on a particular use of the law and, and, and constitutionality of it. What is, in essence, the role of the Supreme Court of the United States on issues like this? What is, what is constitutionally their role supposed to be? Constitutionally, their role is to be and uh, in, in, to interpret the law.
2: That is it, to interpret the law, not to be um, anyone that would promote any particular policy preference. And that's what you see him doing. When you read the dissent of the Dobbs case, basically there, if you want to, I can save you 70 pages of reading. We we uphold the constitutionality of the right to abortion because we like abortion or we like the right of abortion. It's not grounded in any right in the constitution. Now, people who were, now I've talked to people who are pro-choice and who are academics and, you know, experts in the field of law. And they said, look, I agree with Roe v. Wade, but I can't defend its rationale or its logic because it doesn't exist. And even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as I said earlier, she questioned that the timing of Roe and its reasoning. With that being said, to your question, Dave, is that in this particular case, what the majority opinion did, what the court said is, is that... There are a bunch of rights listed in the Constitution, Article, I mean, um, the First to the Eighth Amendments, and then there might be rights out there that aren't enumerated, that aren't listed in the Constitution. <clears throat> now, we're prepared to defend those and uphold those rights, but if, you're, if they're not enumerated or listed in the Constitution and you're going to say they're unenumerated, they're somehow buried in the emanations of penumbras <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that from the, from right. the Griswold v. Exactly. Con- Connecticut case. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to hide a right in there, you have to be able to tie it to our nation, and I think the term they use, is it's gotta be grounded in our nation's history and our mm-hmm. traditions, and it's gotta be born out of ordered liberty. Meaning, you can create a right out of anything, a right to inject heroin into your eyeballs. I have a constitutional right, you know, to do drugs or to prostitution. Right. Those rights are not, they're not tied to our nation's history or our nation's traditions. And what the court said is, The right to abortion is nowhere to be found in the Constitution, and it's not even tied to Mm -hmm. our nation's traditions or histories. And that's born out of the fact that when the 14th Amendment was written in 1868, which is where the due process clause is found that Roe was predicated on, nearly all the states in the country had anti-abortion laws. they did. It was criminalized. And for 185
1: years, nearly every state had it. And that's interesting because in our podcast yesterday, we were talking about this, and, and Uh, Justin over there has his printed off version of it. But we started thumbing through the appendix of 25 pages of, oh, by the way, here's this law and this law and this. Mm -hmm. And it was two on every page just about, which means that across the board, we are seeing laws that were based at our state level that made abortion illegal. So that, the historical side of that for you at home as you're or in the car as you're listening, you've got to understand that that basis was there. And so Samuel Alito, when he was writing the initial draft and then the final version of this, goes back to that and says, we historically have not been a country that has been supportive of abortion as a, as a historical look back
2: on who we are. At the state level. Right. State by state. And the whole point of the system of federalism is that each state should be able to decide the, the policy. What's interesting is the people that are going crazy talking about the rights being taken away, actually you want to give away all of the power to nine people in robes as opposed to having local representatives that you get to directly vote for our, and decide the, these types the of num- policies.
1: The number yesterday that we did on our podcast, and if you haven't, did, we recommend you go back, is 7,383. That's the number of elected officials at the state level in America, so instead of leaving it to nine, the justices on the Supreme Court or the 535 members of Congress, your elected representatives at the state level are the people who live in your community. They go to the same grocery store that you do. Their kids go to the same school. You most some of them you may go to the same church with, mm-hmm. where you can actually sit down and and have a conversation. And it's not those people up there in D.C. It is my neighbor who lives in and is my elected representative. And if I don't like a decision that you make, guess what? I don't have to vote for you next time. Yeah, right. Which I, I get really frustrated, Alan, when I, I sit here and I listen to people on the other side saying, well, the Supreme Court overstepped its bounds here by actually relinquishing power back to the states. Damn. Well, it's, mean, it's the fundamental. Yeah. We
0: talked about this yesterday and I, in case you missed it, we, we are here, Justin Hall, Dave Wilson, here with Attorney General Alan Wilson. No relation. Um, we talked about this. This is a, It's not just an ideology on pro-life, pro-choice. I think we're seeing now the underbelly of that is pro-large federal government and anti-state government that has some autonomy there. I use the word autonomy. Um, where states have the power to do this. I, I was saying that my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live in California. They are going to be living under very different types of laws when it comes to abortion mm-hmm. than I will here in South Carolina, and that's okay. At, at, in, in the terms, in the realm of the Constitution, that's okay. I disagree with the laws in California, but at the end of the day, they have the right to elect the representatives they want to, and so when we get into this Supreme Court case and we get into the decision that that Justice Alito drafted, there are a couple of different terms in there that they, they started to really talk about. and. I, I kind of stayed away from Justice Thomas's on yesterday's podcast. We might get into that a little bit today. But stare decisis, can you explain to people? This came up all during okay. now Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing. What is stare decisis?
2: It's basically Latin for standing by a thing that has already been decided. Precedent. It's, mm-hmm. it's a fancy Latin word for precedent. When a court makes a ruling on on a particular case... You know, future courts should give great such great deference that it should be loath or rarely um, change it. Now, you know, we've had a lot of horrible precedents, and what this majority court said—the six members in the majority, really the um, five—Roberts is a whole nother conversation (laughs) in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. We won't go into that one. But but what they said is it says stare decisis is good. When you have an area of unsettled law, but we the abortion issue is not unsettled, but also more importantly, is it was bad Supreme Court precedent. You look at Plessy v. Ferguson in 1896. Yeah, that, that's the go-to that everyone's talking about. But that was that established separate but equal. OK, that we're going to treat people separately, but equally, which really is not this is not true. And then 50 years later, Brown v. Board of Education comes around and that court overturned separate but equal to say that you can't segregate people by race. Um, there have been lots of um, cases and the Supreme Court gave a footnote that is like two paragraphs <laughs> long of cases where we set aside bad precedents. What this court said is this this. Courts should not be bound by horrible Supreme Court precedent. We should, you know, we should not build our house on soft sand. We should right. build it on right. firm, you know, rock, rather speaking. But here's the other thing. Um, that You know, so stare decisis is great, but it doesn't, it shouldn't control every future court. Let me tell you something. The left, they overturned stare decisis when, when they voted for Roe. So, again, it depends on when people are, depending on what your position is, whether or not you're going to stand behind Story decisis. But Story decisis is not something that, that people should hang their hat on when it comes to upholding bad Supreme Court precedent. Another issue that came up was uh, this idea of substantive due process.
1: Yes. Y'all, y'all want you're, to go into you're, that? You, you yes. have, you're, you're hitting yes. all, all of our highlight marks. Let's go into this. So we were So, so we, were, we were doing show prep, just so that, you know, we were doing show prep, knowing the attorney general was coming in. And so as we're sitting down go, going over things, it's like, okay, we'll jot this note, jot this note. We need to talk about this, this, this. And, and you're hitting every single one of them because when you start reading through this, Alan, you go there is some there are some key things that this supreme court decision says that really kind of does a shift in the way the supreme court has operated historically that has been in my lifetime our lifetime they're doing something radically different here but explain what it what the substantive due process part meant first. I think the court actually referred to uh, substantive due process as an
2: oxymoron because you can't have something (laughs) substantive and a process at the same time. So basically what that means is, let me go back. If you go back to the Fourteenth Amendment and it says you can't be deprived of life, liberty, property without due process of law, what that means is the court, me, the government, can't come and take Justin's property or take your liberty or take either of your lives without you having the opportunity to have due process in the court of law. You have a right to be defended, you have a right to representation, you have a right to cross examine witnesses, the court has to follow all these rules. It just it's not like in the old days, back in old English days, where the king says, Oh, I want your wife, I want your farm, I want your land, I'm gonna take it, goodbye, and send you straight to jail. got to be due process. And it's a process. right? So Mm -hmm. if you go back, you can go back to the Dred Scott, which is probably next to Roe, the worst Supreme Court decision in the history of this country. But that was basically a, a case where the court kind of, through this idea of substantive due process, read into the Constitution that Certain people are inherent property of another group of people, and therefore they don't have rights when they go to a northern state. Uh, they can't have rights because they're property. Um, you read, you go forward into the twentieth century. Griswold v. Connecticut that dealt with, um, you know, contraceptions in the marital bed, um, and that was the case where you get that funny language where there are rights embedded in the Constitution that you can't see, and it talks about emanations of penumbras. No one knows what that means unless you can look <laughs> up those words, but. But and then, of course, it was that that was the Supreme Court created a a right to privacy. And they said, if you look at the First Amendment and the Fourth Amendment, and the Fifth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment, you look at all these amendments, they're they're embedded rights to privacy. And, of course, the Ninth Amendment says there are lots of rights that aren't even enumerated. And and so they basically said there is this right to privacy and what you do in your bedroom, whether, you know, it's consensual sex or it's contraceptive with your spouse, whatever, who you marry, what race they are, like in Loving Bee, Virginia. That you have a right to privacy and a right to do all these things, and but what the court unfortunately did is is they created this thing called substantive due process, and what that is is when the court can't find a right or they can't find a way to um, connect that right to our nation's traditions or our history, then they it's kind of like a blank page. The Supreme Court gets to says, okay, we can't find the right. So we're going to use this thing called substantive due process, and we're going to manufacture the right so that we can follow our own policy prescriptions. And that is not the role of a judge. The role of a judge is to say, it's not in the Constitution, states it belongs to you. Now, if you want to pass a constitutional amendment... That's totally a, different. Yes, you can pass a
0: constitution, And it's a
2: hurdle that it, it to, to have to cross over. You can amend the Constitution to create a right to abortion. You can even pass federal law. Um, and that's a whole other conversation. Right. We can go there. But there is no... Organic right to abortion. There is no organic, organic right. right, as Scalia said, to privacy. Um, so, substantive due process is just a blank piece of paper that the ju- the judges and courts have, where they can make up rights when they don't agree with something that's going on.
1: And the phrase that you use and is stuck in my head is, they have read into the Constitution uh, that there is such an interpretive aspect of that. And when you when you then turn around and say, you know, they've read into it, they got a blank page there's a lot of damage that can be done between reading between certain lines and reading an, an idea into something and then putting it down on paper to, to then set a precedent that says, oh, by the way, I think this is kind of what I want it to feel like it means, kind of, sort of, maybe, and I'm going to write it that way, which is feels like what Roe versus Wade was in 1973. Well, I need to find a way to be able to do this, so I'll make it happen. So back to the, the Dred Scott decision. Right.
2: The concept of substance of due process, where the court wanted there to be an inherent right, they read into the Constitution a right to actually physically own someone. Now we can get into a whole other conversation about the, the flawed origins of our country, but in our founding documents there was we recognize that all men are created equal, right. and, and it took us you know nearly a hundred years to catch up to the mm-hmm. promissory note, as, as uh, you know Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass called it. Uh, that is the Constitution and the founding documents. But with that being said, is You may be for substantive due process because it gives courts the ability to give you rights that you want, but it also gives courts the power to do things to you you may not like. And so, as a conservative, I see the Constitution as a charter with a bunch of rules in it. And if it doesn't give me, as a judge, the power to do something or doesn't list a right, then I'm going to say that's a policy issue to be argued and debated by state legislatures or the Congress. And we're getting out of it. So, to the liberals out there, the Supreme Court is saying, we're getting out of the abortion business. You all debate it. And if you mm-hmm. want to stick it in the Constitution, we'll abide by that. If you want to pass it in federal law or in state law, that's another issue. But it doesn't exist in the Constitution, and we're not going to read it
1: into it. So that's where the Tenth Amendment comes into play. Right. Yes. Which basically says if it's not enumerated here, it goes to the state and to the people.
2: Yep, that's okay. correct.
1: If it's if it's not, anything
2: not um, retained by the federal government or prohibited by the, to the states is left to the states. So the states get to do everything. It's called the general police power. That's where the vaccine mandates came in. They conflated <laughs> yeah. that right. look, states could have yeah. vaccine mandates, but there is no general police power for a federal government to right. do a, a vaccine mandate. Right. And they, they they didn't realize that when they were arguing against us last year on that issue. But that is a general police power, you're correct. Okay.
0: So that's that was the main uh, thrust of Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas's um, He talked a lot about substantive due process, and I might be reading it wrong, but when I read the majority opinion, it seemed like Justice Leto said, yeah, but we're not going to deal with that right now. We're we're, we're kind of focused on this. We we might deal with that later on down the line if it comes up. And, so and Justice Thomas is saying we need to deal with it. When so it it's
2: just, all right. Let's break it down this way. It's a six three decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, of the six conservatives, and if you want to call Roberts a conservative, we'll do that for well, purpose sure. of this conversation. For the purpose That's of this, for the part purpose of the of this con- conversation, this
1: part of the conversation, the six three part of it. Yes. So yes.
2: so you have your fundamental four. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got Alito. You've got Kavanaugh. You got Barrett, and you got um, Gorsuch. Gorsuch. Gorsuch, thank you. Those are the four. Main majority folks, okay. Um, they and then you have Thomas on the hard on the far right, and you have um, uh, you have Chief Justice Roberts on the far left of the majority decision. What the four main are saying is like we're going to overturn Roe, but we don't want to touch substantive due process. We that is not that is not a bridge we want to cross today. We feel like you know we won't. They said at least half a dozen places. I actually annotated <laughs> <it>, that <laughs> we're not going to touch. Marital relationships. We're not going to touch gay marriage. We're not going to touch anything.
1: They they started enumerating very specific cases. It doesn't mean anything with this and this. Eisenstadt. um, They they talked about the um,
2: you know the Loving v. Virginia. They talked about Obergefell, which is gay marriage. They talked about a bunch of other cases. Griswold v. Connecticut, uh, the the contraception case. They say these we're not going to touch these. We're going to leave them alone. And they they distinguished all of those rights. From abortion, from the abortion issue, in that in those rights, it is just a person's inherent right to do something, right? In the in the in, with abortion, you're dealing with potential human life, and does does that person or does the person in utero? We can call them a fetus. You can call them an unborn child. They have the potential for life, and whether or not that life has moral value, or whether it should be as, um, as assigned protections under our constitution. At least needs to be a conversation that the legislature's had. Right. Roe took that off the table. This mm-hmm. says, you know, if you look at the dissent, nowhere do they talk about the liberty interest of a, of a child that's unborn to have a right to life. They or don't they ever the talk about that. They talk about the liberty interest of the yep. woman. And again, no one's, I'm not begrudging that conversation, no. but I think we need to be talking about both. And none of those other rights. Is 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 there a potential for unlife being snuffed out prematurely? And sure. and the court is basically saying that is a policy discussion for legislative bodies to have, not for a court to interpret. And so we're not going to read into it. We're not going to create a law uh, through our opinion. And that is why that is how they distinguished abortion from all of these other rights. Now Thomas takes a hardline position and he says now, what he's not saying, let me let me go ahead and say People say Thomas uh, wants to end gay marriage. Thomas wants to end contraception rights of couples and end interracial marriage, which, which is, is ironic because he's right. in an interracial <clears throat> marriage. It's interesting.
0: That's a weird way to get out.
2: But what, and, and I've heard Thomas speak. I've read things that he's written in the of, he, uh, Judges like him, and Scalia was like this as well, they're not saying they're for those discriminatory practices, that they wanna get into people's bedrooms or into their private consensual conduct in their homes. They're not saying that. They're saying that is not an issue for the court. We're reading in rights that were not in the Constitution. If you wanna add them to the Constitution, fine, but you're asking us to make them up to enforce them. He goes, we need to get out of the policy prescription business and just go into the interpretation business. And he says, we should do away with substantive due process Right off the bat, <laughs> and that is what he's saying. Now, now he says, would that overturn a Bergefell or you know, loving or all these others? perhaps. But he's saying, but the state legislatures or the Congress can take that up as any passive federal law protecting that. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be read into the Constitution. Robert's on the far side. He's on the left side of the majority. He was drug kicking and screaming with the majority on this. Mm-hmm. He did not want he I don't think he wanted to sign this opinion. He concurred in the judgment, but not the reasoning. He would have uh, ruled in favor of Mississippi's 15-week, but he wouldn't have gone as far to overturn Roe and/or um, Casey, and 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 so he he kind of was a reluctant warrior on this one. I wouldn't even call him a warrior. He was just a reluctant judge on this one. But he went along with the majority. And had there not been, had this been a four-four court, and he would the deciding, then it would have it would have been five-four the other way.
0: It would have been, which right. is which is. Again, just interesting if you follow any sort of cases over the last several years. Just Justice Roberts is an interesting is an interesting case study. So we're we're talking about this case. We've we talked about the majority opinion. We've talked about Justice Thomas's concurrence and and um, Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh also gave a concurrence. Any anything specific that he said that folks need to know about, or did he kind of just dial in? I just want to add a little bit. Well, and, I, and I
2: read it. It's been a couple of days since I read it. I read it Saturday morning. But, you know, he he was kind of in line with the main majority, but I think he just wanted to concur. Obviously, he he feels like this the, the court was overstepping its authority in Rowan yeah. Casey and Casey and just basically approached it from another uh, position.
0: And another, because uh, no, uh, full disclosure, I like watching the reactions from people on the opposite side. And so I was We we were actually watching um, a representative from the state of New York, who shall remain nameless. She goes by her initials, and she um, used to
1: tend a bar. She did. She used to tend bar
0: a few years ago. Maybe everybody knew her name. I don't know. I don't. Anyway, the (laughs) point the point is, she said that um, that this was an overstepping of the bounds by the court. Certainly, Uh, but but she made a couple of points that Justices Kavanaugh and Barrett are guilty of perjury in their that. Because in their confirmation hearings, they said they would not overturn. Yeah, Roe. They,
1: they said the two conservative senators. She said that two, a couple of conservative senators had said that they misrepresented
0: yes. where they were going to, where they were coming from. The conservative senators, by the way, that she mentioned were Susan Collins, Collins and, and Joe Man- Joe Manchin. Jo Manchin. Yes. So, I mean, that that's kind of puts you
1: towards the middle left of
0: yes. of the
1: right. right. If-ish, if, sort of. Uh, don't run in the middle of the road. You can't get run over. Um, but if that's the case, I mean, th- their arguments kind of just fall on deaf ears because I think it's arguing for the sake of arguing. But when you dig into the actual decision from a legal standpoint, as the Attorney General of South Carolina, as the, the, the chair of the Republican Attorney General's Association, you look at things a little bit differently you take a little bit broader of a view, not only with what goes on here, but how does it impact nationally? When you were reading through, what were some of those things that you highlighted on, on what you had that made you sit there and go, yeah, there's, there's something we need to deal with here? You're talking about as it relates to this the Dobbs yeah. decision? Well, I can use
2: that question to go back. You asked me mm-hmm. about Kavanaugh, and I, t- I tabbed. Actually, I have Kavanaugh here, and one of the things I highlighted that he wrote, um, Kavanaugh and his concurring with the majority said, instead of adhering to the Constitution's neutrality, the court in Roe took sides on the issue and unilaterally decreed that abortion was legal throughout the United States up to the point of viability, which is 24 weeks at the time. And that's where I, earlier when I was talking to you, I didn't realize I was citing Kavanaugh, is that it's not, the, it's not the purpose of the Supreme Court or any court to take sides. We're not supposed to wear a jersey, a blue jersey or a red jersey. I think it was uh, Chuck Todd said, we no longer have black robes, <clears throat> we have red and blue robes. Well, that that, that irony is is that it's the left that's wearing the blue robes, and it's the right that is saying, we're not going to put on the red robe. Uh, We're going to put on the black robe, and we're going to say, Democrats, Republicans, pro-life, pro-choice people, you debate the policies, and you have the right to determine for your elected... People, you know, what those you can balance the life of the Mm -hmm. child, the unborn child, and the and the the mother, and you can have those conversations. And every state can come up with something different. Um, That that was a very powerful thing that he was saying.
1: So maybe the two different colors don't represent Republican versus Democrat, but a a a strict constructionist, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, constructionist viewpoint: the Constitution and the words themselves matter. Mm -hmm. Versus a progressive standpoint that says we're actually supposed to be here. To adjust the law to fit culture, to fit where we see America going, the the left sees
2: the Supreme Court as a super legislature. Now, it's what's different is that it's only nine people, and they're elected for life. Right. And yeah. so, what we the, the policy uh, priorities that we can accomplish through the legislative progress uh, process in Congress, we're going to arrogate that and give it to the Supreme Court to do for us. And that is why, first off, we should not care who was on the supreme court as much as we do any more than we should care who the president is if you go back to the founding of our country you know i forget it was federalist 78 hamilton you know the supreme court has neither force nor will right. um so it, mm. should, it should be just a back bench no pun intended right. you someone get branch- senator Campson on the phone yeah. <laughs> but but it, it it was it was hamilton yeah. it was federalist 78 i hope yeah. i said it correctly mm-hmm. but he was correct is that we should the whole point is to call balls and strikes right right and 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 you know and of course the right says okay i don't like when the ball comes in, I have to call a strike even if it's against my own team because this is this is what the Constitution commands. The left always wants the strike called even no matter how far out it's thrown outside right. the box. And they want judges to be able to do for the things that they can't do in the legislative bodies.
1: Which is goes back to the, the constitutional structure. The first thing outlined in the Constitution is the legislative this is the legislature. Um, they recognize they didn't want to centralize power into a single person. We didn't elect a king. We elect a president. But we created the legislative branch, and in doing so, it was a process by which you had to hear from a lot of different voices. You know, 535 members of Congress, you've got 435 representatives and 100 senators in, in operating in two different bodies. The fact that they have never been able to pass the legalization of abortion says something about the whole nature and the balance of where this issue stands. On a national front and to have left it up to the whim of seven out of nine people in the Supreme Court, it really does show, listen, we'll do whatever we can with the smallest number of people that we possibly can to make that happen. That's just not a constitutional viewpoint, a strict constructionist style viewpoint. Of the Supreme Court, right?
2: No, no, you're absolutely, you're absolutely correct, Dave. Uh, and again, I consider myself a strict constructionist. Keep the court relegated to the black and white letter of the law. They don't go outside their left or right limit, even if that means they don't get to say what I want them to say. And by the way, let's just be honest. I have a lot of friends on, on the conservative side of the spectrum, and I, who I generally agree with politically. <clears> but there are people on the right who want us to use the powers of government, both in the judicial branch and the legislative branch and the executive branch, exactly the same way the left is using it. And so both sides have been guilty of it. Right.
0: Yeah. It's not, I mean, when you're talking about balls and strikes, I, I, I want... You I, want my, baseball over here, so I want I'm my I want my umpire to around. just be consistent, right? right I don't right. want a strike zone that moves all the way around. Just keep keep me in the same strike zone, and let's play the game that way.
2: Now, listen, when if it I comes it down now, the... when it comes to the executive and legislative branch of government, you don't want someone playing a game of baseball. You want an advocate to go right. in there and yes. fight a battle for you, yes. right? You know, you know, there's cultural rules on the left and right, True. and you want people to go in and advocate. As the Attorney General, when it comes to the criminal justice system, I call balls and strikes. I don't care right. who the person is on the other side of the V, the defendant. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter who, how important or unimportant they are, whether. I like them or dislike them, they should get the same measure of justice that anybody would receive. I don't sure. treat them any differently. We call balls and strikes. I've yeah. gotten in trouble with that from people on the right. Um, I tell people this all the time. Because they want you to be an activist. Well, for instance, if I am investigating or prosecuting someone that who's in a public official and they like that person, I'm on a witch hunt. If I don't investigate someone, or let's say I look at them, there's no crime there, then, um, then I'm sweeping under the rug. It has nothing to do with what my role is. My role is not to punish my enemies and reward my friends. Listen, I've had in this last election cycle, have of people going around saying things about me because I wasn't doing what they wanted me to do, but I actually used the law enforcement <laughs> community to go give me an investigative report on X, Y, and Z, and the report came back, don't, don't, don't you don't go forward with this on a right. prosecution. Now, it doesn't mean what the person was doing was good. It could have been bad government. It couldn't have even been immoral government, but it wasn't criminal. Conservatives have wanted me to prosecute people for executing bad government, and that is a that is an abuse of my constitutional oath, and it's a they're asking, asking me to be a liberal. (laughs) <laughs> a leftist. I, should, I shouldn't say a liberal. I should say a, a leftist. leftist. <laughs>
1: the progressive conservative. Right. right you know. And, again, and
2: I know a lot of liberals that right. aren't like that. They're wonderful people. But but mm-hmm. but the leftists, they want to use the levers of government as you know to coerce, to be coercive. And I'm not going to do that for the left or for the right. Now, when it comes to advancing, like one of the reasons I took a position on the heartbeat bill that I did was because this wasn't balls and strikes. This was Roe was a garbage decision. A garbage decision that followed it was Casey. Casey couldn't even defend the logic of Roe, so it abandoned all the logic of Roe and instituted a completely different standard that was probably worse than Roe. Undue burden. What does that mean? Um, And so I'm like, I'm not going to defend bad constitutional law, so I I said up front, I'm going to defend whatever South Carolina passes. Mississippi beat us to the punch. We were prepared to go (laughs) to the Supreme Court, but but that's where we are. We are where we are, and I'm glad that we're there. But um, but I am an advocate when it comes to upholding the rule of law and the Constitution, and that's going to make me enemies on the right and the
0: left. Well, so, so you mentioned it, so easy segue. You've done a lot of interviews before. Uh, we're going right into the, to the heartbeat bill. Okay. Obviously, it was enjoined in the court shortly after being signed by Governor McMaster. Yes. So with the Dobbs decision coming out for the folks at home, I, I want to make sure we understand. There are several states that had automatic laws into place, boom. Where does South Carolina sit now in terms of their pro-life, uh, our, our pro-life legislation?
2: So I was asked, uh, Supreme, uh, Attorney General so and so in this other state, you know, just d- d- declared their pro-life <laughs> bill in effect. <laughs> and I'm like, they had a trigger law. I mean, they just, had the ability to do this. They had the right. ability to do that. I don't have that kind of power. To my conservative friends, so I, there was no trigger provision that says, in, sure. in the wake of Roe being overturned, this bill becomes automatic. Ours didn't have that. So right now, there is a current stay in place in the Fourth Circuit. Um, When we were sued by Planned Parenthood, the the stay was put in. Within minutes, both my office and the governor's office, there are members of this this case with us, we filed a motion to lift the stay. I've been told since then that the plaintiffs, the Planned Parenthood, they have actually made a motion to withdraw their um, complaint. Um, and I think the reason is, is because they, they're on the hook The legal cost would be a little costs, bit
1: more than they... And they're losing a lot. <clears> they're going to yes. lose a lot of business. So, like so, 3%. So, it's
2: right. crazy. So, so we have filed that motion within a minutes of the decision coming out on Friday. Um, I think they were given to today to respond. I'm not quite sure where the legal posture is. I don't want to mismanage expectations. The court should immediately lift the stay and the, the heartbeat bill should go into effect right now. Do I expect it to be this week? Yes, I do. I just can't guarantee it. But if we don't hear something by the end of the week, then I may be sending a missive to the court asking what's going on because this is not
1: rocket science. So the Fourth Circuit is going to be – the Fourth Circuit is who who put the stay on there. Correct. Used to be a more conservative circuit of the court. It's horrible. It's horribly liberal now, which is one of the reasons why – we've talked about this in a previous podcast with you. When we talked about the fact that there are certain – reasons why we're looking at other states, and other states are taking certain actions because they're in a different circuit of of the judicial circuits across the country. Some are more conservative, some are more liberal, and so that's part of the reason why Certain cases, we don't push as hard in South Carolina because let's get them well, over into other l- circuits. L- let, me, let me
2: say it differently. We push very right. hard in South Carolina. Right. However, you got to play chess, not checkers. One right. Of, one of my staunchest <laughs> critics over the last few months has called me a backbencher and said, Wilson doesn't do anything. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a backbencher of my Republican caucus and I'm the chairman of it. Right. Um, <clears throat> I was been elected three times. But when I sit down with conservative, rural, law-minded um, attorneys general, we look at the national chess board. Of all, and you have got that great. Right. You had a PowerPoint here one time I saw it was great. We'll
1: we'll put the graphic up on the screen so yep. that you can see real quick as we're talking about this. You know, there, here are the different circuit courts, the the way the different states are organized into different circuits. It used to be because there used to be judges who would ride the circuit, that's right. Cases that's why they're called circuit courts. The Fourth Circuit is predominantly Obama era judges. Clinton, Obama era judges
2: or one or two. Bush, um, one, I think one or two. We have two from the Trump era. Right. Um, but but it's mostly a, a, a blue circuit. And so when you're, for instance, when you're bringing a, uh, we were challenging the OSHA mandate. The, the OSHA, the federal OSHA right. law allowed us to bring, it, skip the district court and go straight to the court of appeals. Well, if I would have gone straight to the court of appeals in the fourth circuit. We wouldn't have got the injunction immediately. It would have been, it would have, they would have denied the injunction, and it would have been months before we got into court. By that point, everyone's getting the, the required right. mandated vaccines. So I sat down with a bunch of attorneys general from other states, and we looked at the Fifth Circuit, the Eleventh Circuit, the Eighth Circuit, the Sixth Circuit, and we went in all those other circuits where we had a more favorable panel, where at least where we would have a shot at getting an injunction. Within a week of our state joining in
1: in the Fifth Circuit with Texas, we got
2: we got an injunction on the OSHA mandate.
1: So oh. it's so it really is it really is playing the chessboard and not just looking at well what are we gonna do? What are we because you actually you work with your fellow attorneys general, especially your conservative ones, to say how is it best for us to be able to to make the plays that we need to make, that's right.
2: And my my solicitor general shop is in constant communication with the SG shops of all the other AGs. I'm in constant communication with my my fellow attorneys general and my chief deputy and chief staff. They're talking to their counterparts. So and we go to conferences, we have conference calls, we have conversations, legal strategy, and you know, in some states are further down on an issue than another. And so okay, I tell you what, I'm going to do is you take the lead on this one. We'll help review your complaint or your your legal pleading and. You know, we'll give you some editorial comments, and then we'll we'll support and join in. That's what we do. Sometimes I'm the lead on a letter or an amicus brief or a complaint, and they'll say, "Hey, we got your back, Wilson." They'll jump on mine. So it's you know, it's not about being a ball hog. It's about what is the best, most efficient, effective way to accomplish what your goal is, which is to get a bad law thrown out, right, and so as quickly as possible.
0: And and we've been talking about Dobbs and, and the overturning of Roe and Casey, which is important, but. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't look at the fact that the Supreme Court, just in the last week, counting today— Two religious time liberty cases. Two religious liberty cases. A Second Amendment. And a pro-life. And a pro-life. That's four. Now, we had ten conservative victories in the state house this year, so the Supreme Court's catching up. But that's four <laughs> in one week. In one <laughs> week. In is. one week, they've hit half. So that's four major cases. When you look at all of those cases and you look through the scope— what does that say about the court, this new makeup of the court that we see three justices that have just come on since the beginning of the Trump administration? Mm-hmm. What is the mood? What is the mode of this court? Where do you see it as, it as they make these decisions? These are major decisions that they wouldn't have made five years ago.
2: No. And what I'm what I'm seeing is is a group of judges who are willing to pull the Supreme Court back to its original constitutional mandate. Justice Chief Justice Roberts is an incrementalist. He doesn't like to upset, you know, the apple cart. He likes to go to, the, as yeah, we joke, he likes right. to go to the cocktail parties um, in, in Washington D.C. <laughs> which is why I would love to put the Supreme Court in the middle of Montana.
0: <laughs> like 300 miles from there anywhere. There is nowhere to go and nothing you, to do. I can tell you that Clarence Thomas would probably
2: be okay with that. Yeah. He probably would be, honestly. Be- because I honestly do feel like these people, I, I, sh- I don't want to besmirch their integrity, but, you know, you, you travel in these social circles and when you do something controversial, then all of a sudden you get shunned at the, at the cocktail parties. And Not gotta that have you've ever
1: sec- felt that personally in South Carolina's I am, politics, I am,
2: ever. I am currently <laughs> being burned in effigy right now somewhere in the state of South Carolina. <laughs> Uh, and I'm fine with that. Um, but it, you, I'm elected to make the tough decisions, right. And I have to make decisions, and you know, and I'm going to continue to do that. But my point is is that, you know, what I don't like about Chief Justice Roberts, and I do think he's an honorable person. I think he's well intentioned, but I do think he makes things up. He did this in the ACA, the Affordable right. Care Act, where yes. he said it's a tax for this purpose, but it's not a tax for this purpose, therefore we're gonna uphold the ACA. Then he says, you know, well we don't wanna you know, I don't wanna overturn the bad jurisprudence of Roe and Casey, so I'm gonna just do it incrementally because I, I wanna be liked. And what we have is we have a handful of jurists now in the Supreme Court who said, You know what, I'm not here to be liked, I'm here to, to perform my constitutional role, which is to interpret the constitution, not rewrite it. Right. And that's what I like about this new group of jurists. And they're gonna be castigated and called horrible sure. names. They're gonna be accused of doing horrible things. But at the end of the day, it's the far left that wants to turn the Supreme Court into a super legislature. Again, what did the Supreme Court do? You said it, you articulated it brilliantly a minute ago. They're saying, hey, liberals, Here's the case for you all to argue in your state legislatures. You can now control your destiny. We're we're out. We're getting out of the way. So you no longer have to campaign and vote for president based on who they're going to elect as judges. We're giving the power away from us and giving it back to you. And that is what this court is doing. They're saying we shouldn't be this powerful and influential.
1: I said it yesterday. You know, It makes the 50 stars in the American flag actually meaningful because the political boundaries of our states actually matter because what we do in South Carolina can be different than what's done in Georgia or North Carolina and certainly different than what we see coming out of California, Massachusetts, and New York yeah, when it comes to the laws that we
0: create. So. Well, and, and you make a good point uh, when you said, talking about what's going on, because Justice Thomas actually at one time said that, you know, if you're in the middle of a hurricane and the winds are blowing around you, north is still north, mm-hmm. just as if you're sitting on a lake on a sunny day, north is still north. I can have people yelling at me, right thing to do. The proper thing to do is still the right and proper thing to do.
2: Well, and I'll tell you this, and that you mentioned that. Let me go ahead and do this one more time. We'll give (laughs) it (laughs) that. In all seriousness, though... I've recognized that whenever the attorney general enters a pleading, a legal issue on behalf of the state, it's always going to be the state versus somebody or somebody versus the state. I'm always taking a position on one side of the V. or in an adversarial system, so I'm always going to upset half the people in the room, right? Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm either going to pursue a criminal case. I'm not going to pursue it either. I'm going to bring a suit or I'm not going to bring a suit. People are always going to be angry when I don't do what it is they want me to do, regardless of what the law says, and that's for the right and the left. Regardless of what the law says, they want me to do what they want me to do because that's how they feel. At the end of the day, I have to constrain the authority given to me in the Constitution. But the most important thing for me to do is when I put my head down on my pillow at night, that I'm going to sleep with a clear conscience, that I didn't violate my oath. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I haven't made mistakes, but I intentionally have never violated my oath. And and that's,
0: you know, that's what that's what helps me sleep at night. Yeah, that, that's, you couldn't have said it better. We really appreciate you joining us because you have the electronic version, which is so much easier to flip through <laughs> than the paper version, where you have to hole punch ten pages at a time because the hole puncher can't handle it all. Uh, thank you, Attorney General Alan thank Wilson, you. for coming in and breaking this case down because it is—it's a major case. This is—I was telling some of uh, some folks in the family that this is this is going to be one of those things that if you're on the pro-life movement and probably the pro-choice movement as well, you're going to remember that day. You're going to remember Friday because yeah. this is a major, <clears throat> major swing in our country. Dave's been calling it the um, cold civil war that's that's brewing in our in our country when it comes to this very like issue. That. No. That's it's really good. It's, um, that's another podcast for another day. That's another podcast but, for another but, day.
1: But you know, and I want to say this, you know, to our attorney general Alan Wilson, but to my friend Alan Wilson, you called me up. I, you know, I, I'm at the gym when Alan calls me and, and I'm like, okay, I'll stop. Way my reps that you're in the that's weird, That's a weird flex. That's so, a weird flex. But, you know, you said, and, and I, this is, I, I want to appreciate this part of this. You said, hey, listen, I know that we had talked about doing a podcast and when it would be best to do it. We wanted you to have, you know, we're at what, close to 43, 44 mm-hmm. minutes now because it takes this much time. I mean, no offense to our friends in the radio business, because we all do radio at different points in time, so do interviews on the things that are going on, but you got maybe max eight minutes. Yeah. I did four of those this morning, by the way. Right. So
0: you've done- well, I know you did. You've been everywhere. This yeah. Morning.
1: You've been everywhere this morning. <laughs> morning across the state. You know, that's, that's 32 minutes of talk, but mm-hmm. and I appreciate that you taking the time to do almost, you know, more than that, because it gives us time to really dig into, because if you're listening to the Palmetto Family Matters podcast, you understand our, our our focus is this. Here's the issue, why it matters, a biblical worldview on that, and what you can do about it. And you can't understand the issue if you don't take the time to dig into it. So for you taking the time today, you got a busy schedule. It's not like you haven't got other things that are going on, but to take you know the hour out of your day to get over here and have this discussion so that people can listen to this and go, oh okay, I actually can understand this. That's, that's what makes um, our ability to have this and host this with you so important, especially for the people I in the like state. I would like to come in more frequently because,
2: like you said, the court in the last week has had four major cases that, are, yeah. that have changed the jurisprudence of our nation. Um, and I would love to come in and have conversations about what those cases mean or about what's going on here in the state. Right. You know things that I'm involved mm. with, and I'm I'm always happy to come back on and be on this podcast. I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to come in. I like you both and enjoy seeing you. And <laughs> I'm just saying to.
0: that because we're recording. That's yeah.
1: right. Yeah. Oh, we're still <laughs> recording. No, we're still we're recording. We <laughs> oh, oh, right you. The, the red light's
0: still, <laughs> on. Yeah, red light's still on. Red light's no, still. No. Yeah. On. I, I love I love the idea of having um, of having you back because there are. I like I mentioned those other three cases are very very very. Let me tell Let me tell you something yeah. else. I'm I'm working on.
2: Um, my staff's already working on this, but I want to see a parental bill of light a parental bill
1: of rights enshrined in our state constitution right. and that's something that i'm working on right now I'll be working with legislators around the state to try to get and that. that is and that and the reason why that is so important is in mm-hmm. south carolina and just we'll wrap up with this in south carolina to put something as a constitutional amendment it has to go before the voters it cannot be something that your legislature decides hey this is what we're going to do and now we're going to change the constitution it actually is up to you as to whether or not that's actually going to go into effect. We can see, you know, a few years ago we voted to no longer elect our adjutant general. Mm -hmm. But four years ago we decided we are still going to elect our superintendent of education. It's Tuesday. If you're listening to this and it's not 7 p.m. yet, you need to get out and vote in this runoff primary because... As we said before, only one out of six South Carolinians voted in the last election. One out of six registered voters in South Carolina showed up for the last election. And they were given two weeks to do it. They have been two mm. weeks to do it. So yeah, congratulations! No excuses, you. Jamie Harrison. I hope this time <laughs> you actually showed up at a poll. You have a senate. You have a senate race. You to have in. a senate race. But we're maybe not going to go into handle, that part.
0: Of, maybe you should handle that. We're a little not going to discuss that. That's another 40 that one. minutes. That's another 40 <laughs> minutes right here on the
1: fastest growing conservative podcast here in South Carolina, for Justin Hall, the team right here at Palmetto Family. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon. Thanks, to Attorney General Alan Wilson, for being on part of this day today.